So you guys met Scotty, so let me just talk with Scotty for a moment. Scotty, do you know that if you put a buzzard, do we have a picture of a buzzard? That's not a buzzard. There is a buzzard. If you put a buzzard in a pen eight feet by eight feet with no top, that the buzzard is stuck, do you know why? I do not know. You do not know why. Because a buzzard has to have 10 feet of running space before it can launch itself into the air. You didn't know that. Scotty, did you know that if you put a bat on the floor, it's grounded? I did not. You did not? You don't know why? Because a bat has to have elevation to launch itself. Scotty, <laughs> did you know that if you put a bumblebee in a glass tumbler, open at the top, that it will die in there? Do you know why? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> because a bee will only escape at its level of flight. It, cannot, it will not look up above itself. You didn't know those things. Feel enriched, my brother. <laughs> so look what we have done since last summer. We began a study of the words of James, the bishop of Jerusalem in the first century, the brother of Jesus. We aggressively followed Jesus so that we could outlast a culture that denies Jesus. Then we began to study how to aggressively trust a massive, uncontrollable God. A God that lives in a place we call the holy wild, that is so other than us that we cannot even begin to fathom it, and he begins to reveal it to us, but it is made for us to be there. Now we are aggressively pursuing the ability to dethrone the spirit of poverty. This whole thing about poverty is, is more than just a love of money. It is actually an actual demonic power attempting to set itself up as equal with God. In two weeks, we're going to look at the fact that God put on flesh so that he could be for us and he could be with us and he could be in us. And then when we begin the new year, we're going to aggressively develop the skills necessary to walk with God in the holy wild. Why? Why are we doing this? And I keep using the word aggressively because you've you, you got to be aggressive to be able to accomplish this. The reason that I'm using the word aggressive and the reason we're studying this is because it is our nature to be stuck it is our nature to be grounded. It is our nature not to look above and be, be stuck at the level that we are at the moment. So I received an email this week, and it was just a great email. And, and, and a part of our, our community of faith, this lady sent me an email, and she said, I'm not even sure you know who I am, but here's what we're going through. And, and you know, we've been, we've been talking about this whole idea of, of, of kicking loose from poverty and, and how God has designed that and, and how generosity frees us up to do that. And she said, our family just makes enough that, that we can live on that. So how do, how do I do that? How do I become generous and not make them suffer because what I give or feel bad about the times I can't? 
So I emailed her back, and I said, first of all, understand that, that God made it so clear that we should only give out of what we have, and we should do it joyfully, never under pressure or compulsion, not to be, not be pushed into it. And then I said, but, but sometimes God says, I really want you to be generous. And you say, but all I have is this. And God says, okay, you can use some of that. And you take that. And because you take that and use it, you suffer here. It's called sacrifice. I told her about some friends, Pam and I had that years ago, when their kids were in elementary school, the two daughters, that they decided for a season in their life that they would only eat rice on Wednesday nights. And what they would do then, what they would have normally spent on a full meal, they collected for that season and then sent it to some kids in an orphanage that needed food. I said, that's, that's called sacrifice. And she said, you know, that, that, that gives me some good ideas. And, and I, I was so thankful for her email because it, it showed me that here's a person who doesn't want to be stuck at the level they're at at the moment, but instead beginning to look up while working for an organization that delivers lunches to elderly shut-ins, Randall Munt used to take his four-year-old daughter with him to deliver the, the food. And the four-year-old was always amazed at the appliances that old people use. She was really amazed with the, the cane and with the walker and, and with the wheelchair. And one day, she was just shocked as they were delivering food to this one elderly lady. And there in the glass sitting next to the ta- on the table was the woman's teeth. And so Randall, Randall just got himself steadied for the barrage of questions his four-year-old was going to ask. But what she did is she just leaned over and whispered, the tooth fairy's never going to believe this. <laughs> you know, when it comes to our security, when it comes to us making sure that we will survive and thrive, it is our nature to only see what is in front of us, to try to escape at the level of our own flight. How many teeth do I need to pull to be able to, to get enough to function? I want us this morning to look up, to understand that there's one who is ready to pour out on us that which would make the tooth fairy not believe this. And that is the genius of what the Jews called masir, literally translated the tenth part. The tenth part moves us to a higher level. The tenth part was part of the worship expression of the ancients who began to understand who Jehovah God was. We began singing about that this morning, about Yahweh. And, and so they began to worship Jehovah God, and the Messiah, the tenth part, was part of what they did. It was so important, this tenth part, that God said to Moses, now as we put laws around the nation of Israel so that they will continue to be blessed by me and will make it to where I want them to be because it's not their nature to do these things, so I'm going to give you some laws, and in that law, I want you to give them a seer, the tenth part, because it will allow me to bless them. We know that Jesus must have practiced the tenth part. We know that the Pharisees continually tried to find reasons to pick apart Jesus in his life, and if Jesus had not participated in the 10th part, they would have brought it to the public. 
In fact, the Talmud said that the Pharisees could not even eat with someone who did not practice the tenth part. And it's Jesus who turns the tables on them and says, with a moral obligation, you should do the tenth part, but your heart should be better in doing it. We know that as we read those things written by the early church fathers, they practiced the tenth part. We know that, that John, who wrote the book of Revelation, and John, who wrote the Gospel of John, mentored a man named Polycarp. And we know that Polycarp then mentored a man named Arrhenius. And Arrhenius says, we all should practice the tenth part. Following him came St. Augustine and St. Jerome, and they all practiced the tenth part. Here's what God says about the tenth part. To the prophet Malachi, he says this, bring the whole tenth part, the Messiah, the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. He said, now test me in this, because it's not your nature to do this, so test me says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not, not catch this, you won't even have room for it. I was talking to some friends down here just earlier during the greeting, and, and they're in a process right now where they have taken some faith steps and some things, some weird things are happening that it just keeps proving to them that God is, 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 is flooding them with, with good things. And they, they, they said, we're just, we're just, this would be my interpretation. We're just in this for the ride because he just keeps, he's given us favor here. God says, here's what I want to do. I want to pour out to you so much that you cannot contain it. And we talked about what prosperity is in God's kingdom. We talked about the fact that he wants us to have enough to enjoy life and enough to, to promote his kingdom and enough to bless others so that they can find their place in his kingdom. That's what he wants for us. He said, I want to give you so much that you can be generous on every single occasion. said, I want to do that for you, but you need to understand that that tenth part is mine and it belongs to me because you see the tenth part always goes to the one you worship. And he says, so that Jesus said, so that I can make that really clear to you, there's only two places you can go with that worship. And here's what Jesus said. Matthew recorded it in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word there, money, is mammon, which is this spirit of poverty. This is, that is the one who is trying to elevate himself to be equal with God, to vocalize what you should do and should be. And he said, now, the tithe, the, the tenth part goes to either God or to mammon. One will pour out blessings you can't contain, and the other one will pour out poverty that you will disdain. Let's look at the definition of poverty that we've been using. Chuck Pierce says this, poverty is not just experiencing lack, but fearing that we will lack. It occurs when we conform our circumstances to the blueprint given us by the world, and we never see who God really made us to be. Poverty occurs when the God of this world surrounds and influences us with the world's perspective, causing us to forget God's ability in the midst of our circumstances. Poverty is the voice that says what? God is not able. I want to step back and just pause and give you a little commentary that I'm thinking about even now as I'm preaching to you because you may not know this, but while I'm talking to you, I'm having other thoughts. 
And one of my concerns is that as I talk about poverty and money, there are those of you that have always thought that the church is not worth going to because all you do is talk about money. Well, this is the first time I've done a series like this in a couple of years, and, and, and it's interesting that when I do a, a series on Revelation, people say, that's all you talk about. Then when I do a series on grace, that's all you talk about is grace. And when I did a series on sex, that's all you talk about is sex. And so when I do a thing on finances, that's all you do is talk about money. Okay, it's true for like five weeks. But here's why I'm doing this. I think because of the signs that Jesus gave us, that what we're facing in the world is only going to become more intense and more difficult. And that, you know, the economy and of not only this nation, but this world just hinges on fear. And when fear runs rampant, people just start to panic, and then we, we hoard and we covet and we become anything but what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. So I want to center us into biblical truths so that no matter what happens around us, that God is our source and not stock market and not my bank account, but God is my source. Now, for that to happen, we've got to honor him and worship him with what we have. And I want us steady so that when everything else is shifting around, around us, people will look at us and say, well, how are you making it? We'll say, oh, because God's providing. So that's our goal in all of this. And the challenge for us is this, especially with the 10th part. You mean I've got to take part of what I have that I need, and I've got to trust the fact that God's going to make the rest of that stuff work? Yeah. And I, and I have this tendency not to want to do that because of, I've built within me is this self-preservation. I've got, I've got to make sure I have enough. I've got to take care of my family. I've got to make sure I have some down the road. And if I give some of this away to some other people or if I, if I do the 10th, the then, then, then will I have enough? Self-preservation in place of God-preservation leads me to self-focus, which leads me really to selfishness. And selfishness is really a trust issue, whether I really trust about the God we sang about today, if he really can do those things. The trust issue, if we don't trust him, can lead us into poverty. The very thing that we're trying to avoid by being selfish, we end up putting ourselves into. So how do we how do we dethrone this whole poverty mentality, this fear that God is not able? When the church was birthed, thousands of people discovered what the cost would be. Those new followers of, of Jesus were socially and economically ostracized. They were excommunicated from their, their spiritual and their, their natural families. Their businesses were ignored till the businesses just dried up and people lost their jobs because of their belief in Jesus. And so this poverty began to come upon them and then right on the heels of that came an intense famine that didn't make anything better. But these people were, were making it. How? How did they make it through? Luke, writing the book of Acts, said this is what happened in Acts, the second chapter, the 44th verse. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. This is about covenant. Covenant is this, Scotty. What affects you affects me. It matters to me because it matters to you. Because we're in this thing together. See, when you came in this morning, it's not you going to church. 
and then going home to watch the Browns and the Steelers battle it out. We forgot to divide you up this morning, Steelers on one side and Browns on the other, but this is covenant. You walked into family this morning where we must care about each other longer than an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Covenant is where we come and we mesh our lives together. That's why when God said to Malachi, here is the 10th part, now bring it into my house. The my house in the Old Testament was where the covenant culture gathered together to be community and to worship. Today, and in the early church, it was the church. That is where community gathered together. This is where worship took place. It is where they brought their tenth part and where they brought their offerings to help other people and laid it at the apostles' feet so it could be distributed out to the widows and to those who are in need. It was done there because it was covenant community. So Pam and I do this practice of tenth part. We've done it ever since we've been married. And there's other people in this place I know that do 10th part because it's what helps develop and make strong the covenant community. So because Pam and I give a 10th part and others do, this morning your daughter got on the stage and went through that door and found people and resources to help tell her about how she could find a life in Jesus. Because we gave a tenth part, there's warmth and electricity and trained people in the nursery to take care of your newborn. Because we gave a tenth part this morning, your nephew who's in the county prison had somebody from this gathering there this morning to help them in a worship service right there in prison. Because of that tenth part, that when your husband had open-heart surgery, there was a group of intercessors praying for him. That when your neighbor, sitting maybe not too far from you in that pew this morning, found a loss of job and, and couldn't make that, that gas payment, that gas bill payment, that, that because of covenant giving and because of that Tenth part, we were able to pay that utility bill and also walk them through some training on how to deal with the loss of a job. Because that's what we do in covenant community. And that's how we take care of it. It's, it's not a matter of coming in here and saying, hey, that was a good sermon, I'll give a $5 tip. That doesn't work. Because you have been so gracious to follow the teaching of the tenth part, we are able to take care of each other when times are desperate, and to make the ministries and the outreaches of the kingdom of God take place. My tenth part, belonging to God and used for, for covenant community, helps create an incredible base of strength that actually begins to even be more and more generous even to those outside the community. If I don't do that, if, if I don't do my tenth, if I don't give that tenth part, I really am giving that another direction. And according to what Jesus said, I'm bringing into this place a worship of mammon. But when I do my tenth part, I'm bringing in 
the spirit of generosity. And, and, and if, if I decide that, that I'm going to do the 10th, but, but I, I'm going to give that to other people, not the community where I am in covenant, then I have begun to violate the covenant, and, and I create a problem. So let me pick on Pastor John Scotty. When you're married, I'll pick on you about this, but you're not married, so... Pastor John, actually Celeste. Celeste, if, if, if Pastor John came home one day and he said to you, you know, I've been thinking, and, and, and let's say this happened when all the kids were at home still. And, and, and he said, you know, things have been tense in the house, and I really don't like the attitude that I'm finding here. And... And things aren't just running the way. And, you know, about four houses down, I ran into another family. And that family, you know, they're nice people. And in addition to that, they invited me in, and, and I like their food better. And, and in addition to that, they play jazz, not opera. And I like the jazz. So I just want to tell you that I took all the money we set aside for six months of groceries and heating, and I gave it to them. What would happen in your family? She's just shaking her head. She didn't even want to say the words. <laughs> the family would be weakened. So I've had discussions with people. They say, well, you know, what's the storehouse? All I can tell you is the storehouse is the place of covenant. And covenant takes care of its family, and, and the storehouse is where covenant exists. Pam and I had some friends when we lived in Boise, Idaho, and, and they began part, being part of our ch church family, and they're wonderful people, and they've been long-standing friends. But when they came, they said, we just want you to know that we, we do the 10th part, we do the tithe, but we give it to James Dobson, focus on the family. I said, he's a great guy. And, and as I talked to them, I found out that they had been burned pretty bad by the organized church, and they didn't like the organized church, so they're going to give to somebody they could really trust. And so they did that. About, about a year into our relationship with them, uh, she had gone up into the attic above the garage to get something and fell through the drywall and landed on her back and broke her back. For the next four weeks, the covenant community surrounded them, brought meals, cleaned their house, transported kids, and she healed up, and, and, and she healed up fine. It was wonderful, and it was great, and we celebrated that, and they came to me one day and said, we just want to let you know that our 10th part's coming here. We said, well, why? He said, well, James Dobson didn't come visit me in the hospital. James Dobson didn't bring me food. But my covenant family did. And covenant says, if, if it matters to you, it matters to me. Covenant says, we're in this together. A little while ago, Pam and I were, were dealing with an issue that she has a sister that's gone through a, a marriage breakup and not Barb and Don, that's not who. And, and they're not here today because they're visiting family, so I just want to get that clear. <laughs> that's how rumors get started. But she has a sister that unfortunately is going through a marriage breakup and, 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 and finances have been really, really, really tough. So we had this discussion and Pam said, well, let's send her part of my, our tithe. 
And so we had this discussion, and I was talking, to, I was praying about it, and I felt like God said, wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? I said, well, we're going to be generous. We're going to give part of our tithe. And I felt like God said this to me. You have this idea that your giving is like a piece of a pie, or a, a whole pie, and you're going to divvy it up and give it out where it needs to go. And I felt like God said, my tithe does not belong in your pie. That tithe is mine, and it goes where I tell you to take it, and I told you to take it to these people. So you take care of them with that. I said, but then it leaves me with, and, and he said, the pie that you have left is what you have left to live off of, and so now you can take out of that and give that to your sister-in-law. I said, but if I do that, then I won't have that for me. And he said, exactly. You want to steal from me to give to her, but you won't take from your own because you're selfish. Maybe you need to sacrifice because when you give, it shouldn't just be when it just feels good. It should be when the compassion in your heart reaches out and says, they can use this more than I can, and you give it because this is community. When I don't follow through with those biblical patterns, I, I invite into community a spirit of poverty. But when I do, I bring in a spirit of generosity. I don't know if she made it this morning. Marlon Barnett, are you here? I know the weather's been bad. Are you here? Let me tell, I got permission to tell her story. Can I just tell you this? Because some of you and a lot of you have been moving towards this whole idea of generosity and giving, and um, I'm going to tell you what happened. Marlon has a son who's had some difficult moments, and, and, and as I understand it, I may get the story wrong because I'm, I'm giving to, this to you secondhand, but the intent is, is to give you the integrity of it. And so... He, he has a daughter, and it's him, and it's just those two, and he needs it to get her to places. He, he needs transportation to get her to places, and he has transportation to, to get to work, and his car broke. He has no car. So she was asking people in this church, would you please pray that God provides a vehicle for my son? And this just happened recently. It could have happened last week or the week before. After the service Somebody within this covenant community came to her and said, we have an extra car, we're not using it, we would like to give that to your son. So the next day, title was given over. Now see, that's how covenant works. That's how generosity works. And that kind of generosity is contagious. That's how we dethrone poverty. That's how the early church did it. You know, when the early church found itself in this, this famine, they still sent missionaries out to places like Thessalonica and, and Philippi and, and Berea, places that would be known as the Macedonians. But they then, because of their belief in Jesus, found themselves under intense persecution, and their poverty became so intense that it was described this way. They were down to the rock-bottom bits of poverty, down to the depths of poverty. 
Yet somehow there grew in the poverty, and you'd think this would be the opposite, in their poverty grew this extreme generosity. You'd think, no, when you're rich and you have all the stuff is when you're generous. No, 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 no. When you're in God's economy, you can always be generous because you always have something that God's given you that you can share. And so they had this extreme generosity. How did they do that? Selfishness is confronted when God invades our fear. See, we're afraid that we're not going to have enough. We're afraid that, that, that things are going to get too tight. And God invades and says, oh, no, no, I got you covered. Freely you have received, freely give. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth to say, you got to be as free as those people in Macedonia. And here's what he says to them. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given. Paul begins simply by saying, let me tell you about grace. Grace trumps fear. That you can be generous because God's grace will continue to cover you because grace is the provision God gives us to follow him today. It's not me saying, oh, God, here I am living life, and by the way, could you help me out here? No, this is living within the truths that given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We say, God, I believe that. <clears throat> it's believing the words of Jesus when he said, why do you worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear? See those sparrows? He knows every single sparrow, and he feeds them. They don't even store up, and he takes care of them every day. And aren't you much more valuable than birds? And you're worried about what you're going to wear? Have you ever seen such beautiful lilies of the fields, and they're here today and then burned up next? And wouldn't God take care of you? Oh, you have little faith? Look up. Because when we believe that he will do that, we give generously. Paul said this to them about the Macedonians. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem, they even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. I was talking with a friend this week, and, and he, they have four children. They, they have two of their own, and just in the last year, they adopted two more. And they have two cars, but they can't get all four children in either one car. So everywhere they go, they drive two cars. So they've been saving up to get a, a used van in the spring. And there's this thing happening in their, their community of faith and to help support each other. And, and God speaks to these two and says, I want you to take the money that you are saving for the van and I want you to give it to the community of faith because I need to take care of some people there. So you give. So they talked about it and they wrestled with it and finally said, okay, well, we guess we can keep driving two cars. So they did it. The next week, they got a phone call and somebody said, hey, we have a, a van we're not using. Can we give that to you? And so now they got a van. See, that's how God's economy works. Didn't he say, test, and, test me and see that I won't pour out from the windows of heaven? more than you can take. Now, you all look at me like I'm crazy. This is happening. I don't know, Pastor. We'll go with that. 
when we believe that God will do this, we give sacrificially. Paul says, let me, let me test you according to what Jesus did. And he says this, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he can make you rich. Simply this, that Jesus who had all the benefits of being God lays them aside and comes and lives in the poverty of wearing flesh instead of being divine. And, and Paul says, you know why he did this? He did it for your sakes. He did it because it's personal. And when it's personal, we begin to sacrifice. So when you give, when you give to community, you're not given to an organization. Just take a moment, and I want you to do this. I just want you to turn and just look at the people around you and smile. Just look at them. When you give, you are helping those people. When you give, it's personal. That's why we can give sacrificially. And when we believe, we give thankfully. Thank you. <laughs> that was baby for amen. <laughs> See, poverty shouts, you don't have enough. Thankful shouts out. <laughs> now, that was a prophetic word right there, because what... What that child said was, thankfulness says, we've got enough. We've got what we need. And when we have what we need, we'll always have enough to share because we have something. So Paul goes on and says this, the relief offering is a prod to live at your very best, showing your gratitude to God by being openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude through your generous offerings to your needy brothers and sisters and really toward everyone. Meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they'll respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. Thank God for this gift, his gift. No language can praise it enough. Being thankful says, God, I know what you've given to me. And Jesus says, yes, freely you have received, freely give, because there's more where that came from. So this week... Let's not listen to the voice that says, you don't have enough, because that's the voice of poverty. It's a voice of mammon. Let's listen to the voice that says, you have more than enough, for that's the voice of grace. I want us to look up. I want us to see that the windows of heaven are open for us. I want us to see that his truths will always come to pass. I want us to look up and see that grace and be thankful because thankful is always generous. So Paul said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So in the spirit of his generosity, today we continue to live generously. Freely we have received, freely give. And so, for the first two Sundays of this series, we prayed a prayer of release. Last week, we prayed a prayer of confession. This morning, we pray a prayer of action. So would you stand? Only this prayer is not a prayer of words. This is a prayer that is prayed by our acts.
so that you have heard the truth and every truth has a corresponding action. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to live out your prayer this week. First is this, that for these next days, will you look at everything around you, everything, and give God thanks for all that he has given you? Because when we are thankful, we are generous. And then secondly, this week, would you and God have a conversation about your 10th part? And see what you and he decide must be done? Let that be your action and your prayer. Because you see, you can't pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, unless we're willing to live out the kingdom and bring his will. So we're going to conclude this morning by singing, and I'm going to invite you to join with me to sing an expression of really it's a thanks and a praise to God. And I'd like for you that know how to sing and how to pick parts, pick a part and, and let it rip. And if you're tone deaf and proud of it, go ahead and just sing anyhow. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving. <laughs>